Um, well, good morning, church. Last week, we had a lot of different people coming up with praise reports talking about Jesus being the healer. Because for those of you, again, who don't know, we are a four-square church. If you look in the back, we can see the different four squares of four square. Um, we started off the year with the healer because in this church, we've had many things happen. We've had a lot of things go on. Um, people have had bad news, and then they've been healed from it, cancers, heart attacks. I mean, we have AJ here today who just two months ago was in an accident, and now he's here. So we wanted to start off the year right with that because, again, we talked about Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13.8. That is the, the main kind of scripture that Foursquare kind of uses. And so I figured, even though we're kind of out of order, we'd talk about, throughout the month of January, the four squares of four square. So we're going to start off with Jesus the Savior. So we're going to be talking about that. So again, story time. I appreciate Dennis talking about other religions and how they do communion. Because for most of you who should know, I was raised in a very particularly old and a very Roman religion that taught communion as this is the physical, actual blood and body of Christ. When you walked into Mass, you would actually do something called genuflect, which is you would kneel down, you would make the sign of the cross as an honor that the body and blood of Christ was at the altar. So, being raised Catholic, as a matter of fact, there was a lot of things that you actually had to do in order to be saved. There was a lot. First of all, unless you wanted to spend some time in something that they call purgatory, you had to be baptized as an infant to wash away original sin. I was eight days old when I was first baptized. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. You guys are all good luck. <laughs> so you have to be baptized to get rid of original sin when you're a child. And then, of course, as you grow older, you go through something called catechism, which is the Catholic version kind of of Sunday school. You're learning the basics of Catholicism, you, you learn the different things about it. And then after you complete that class, you get to take your first communion. Because before that, you, you can't receive communion until you've taken catechism. And then as time goes on, you then have to go through something called confirmation. Confirmation class is kind of like the Catholic version of youth. It's all of us, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, Again, it's a higher, like, okay, you've learned the basics. Now we're going to learn a little bit more about Catholicism. And then you go through a ceremony where a bishop will come, and he will sprinkle holy oil on you, and you are then confirmed. You are a full-fledged Catholic after that. And then as a full-fledged Catholic, make sure you attend Mass, make sure you attend Confession, make sure you receive communion every week. Oh, but don't forget, make sure you say the rosary. Make sure you fast on certain days, especially 
before mass because you could not eat anything and pollute your body before receiving communion. You had to be pure in order to receive communion. You have to be loyal to the Pope because he is, in fact, the physical representation of Christ on earth. So whatever he says is infallible, and this is who we follow. You have to participate in Lent. Don't eat meat on Fridays. You have to wear amulets and pray to certain saints because at the end of the day, you need help getting to Jesus. So you pray to certain saints. You say prayers actually like this. Let's see if it'll work. Oh, it's not working, sir. Just FYI. Hey, that's a very Catholic picture. See if I can memorize this. See if I still remember this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. So again, there's all kinds of, there's the prayer to St. Michael, there's the prayer to St. Benedict, there's the prayer to St. Christopher, on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> That's only during Christmas. <laughs> okay? Now, I did all of these things. I wore an amulet of the Virgin Mary. I said those things. I did these things. I was even an altar boy and even thought about becoming a priest. And you know what got me? Nothing. Got me nowhere. As a matter of fact, doing all these things didn't make me any closer to God. It made the opposite. I became agnostic because it was hoop after hoop. You had to keep going. You had to go and do more and do more and do more. And God was just so far away, I just couldn't get to him. And so I thought, I, I remember specifically having this feeling that, okay, there might be a God, but this Jesus thing that this Catholic church keeps telling me about, that can't be real. The point of this is there's nothing we can do in order to be saved. There is absolutely nothing. All of us, Every single person on the planet right now has a disease called sin. It's a genetic disorder passed on since the fall of mankind. Look at Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness are, are like filthy rags, all shriveled up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Here's the point. You can't go to church enough. You can't tithe enough. You can't read your Bible enough. I always talk about this. There's not enough little old ladies on the planet that you can help across the street in order to be good enough to go to heaven. You can't do it. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags according to this. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Look at Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They all have turned aside. They all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open grave or tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So again, here's the problem. The damage has already been done. We, we already have that within us. Again, I said, this, this disease called sin. We have a sinful nature. And there's the, the, the problem is, is the Gospels don't tell us what we have to do in order to be saved as a religious ritual. As a matter of fact, Jesus points out when he says things in the scriptures, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you whoever looks at someone with lust has already committed adultery in their hearts. That's not an extra rule. That's not an extra rule. Jesus is saying it's already in you. There's already something in you that makes you separate from God. We're bent towards sinfulness, and there's no amount of religious ceremony or adherence that can cleanse us of this particular sinful nature. This is why Jesus specifically says, it's not what goes into a person's mouth that makes them unclean, but what comes out of the person's mouth that makes them unclean. Because you see, the Pharisees at the time, the religious leaders at the time, only cared about the surface. If I remain kosher, if I didn't eat this, if I didn't do these on certain days, if I performed this ritual and this ceremony, then I am right with God. But the problem was with all of that is it didn't fix inside. And so Jesus then explains that particular parable with his disciples in Matthew 15. But those who... But those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. This means that we have a dilemma. Again, this situation that we're in does not call for us to balance out the scales. Okay, I've done some bad, so that means i got to do some good in order to even things out, and maybe then I'll make it. Again, James 1. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Sin equals death. Even the Bible says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Now do you see why maybe following rules or religious ceremonies kind of is pointless? Because God doesn't say that that's the cost. God says death is the cost. The Bible doesn't say the wages of sin is you have to go and say five Our Fathers and four Hail Marys, and then you're fine. It says the wages of those sin is death. It says the cost of forgiveness is actually the shedding of blood, Romans or Hebrews 9. It even says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Mm -hmm. 
So here's the thing. This is, this is kind of what floors me too because the Bible is very, very clear. Wages of sin is death. There cannot be any forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so I'll have conversations with people and they find out I'm a pastor and they go, oh, me, me and God, you know, we, we have an agreement. You know, we, me and him are good. And, or they'll say something like, or me and God, we really have an understanding, you know, he does this and I do this. And I, you know, if, if I don't do this too much, then I'll be okay with God. And that's kind of our agreement. And I usually try to point out and I tell them, so you're telling me that the eternal one, the creator of the universe, the most high God who said for time immemorial to his creation that you must be perfect, pure, holy, and righteous in order to be in his presence in heaven, except for you. Everyone else, if you are imperfect, impure, unholy, unrighteous, and sinful, deserve death, condemnation, and eternal hell, except for you. Out of the billions and billions of people that God has created, you're just so magnificently special that you got a special deal with him. Now, again, in my personal professional opinion, I wouldn't try to cash that check. <laughs> just putting that out there. If, because here's the thing. There is no making a deal with God. You and I have sinned, and so a death is required. Period. That's it. Now, how many want to die for their own sins? You want condemnation? You want eternal separation from God? Do you want hell? Do you want all of these things, eternal torment and hell? So how are we going to get out of all this? And we've talked about this during communion if the only wage for sin is death, what are we going to do? We need a Savior. This is Jesus, the Savior. Romans, 6, Romans 5. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, here's the biggest point. We need to understand how powerless we are by ourselves. There is no trying to get God's attention. Look how good I'm doing, God. Please, 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 please. Look, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. We were utterly powerless to save ourselves. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. All of us are ungodly. You, me, everyone. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good, good person someone might dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We were still sinning. It was like we couldn't help it. And yet Jesus came anyways. He said, I'm going to save you. I'm talking about Foursquare. Here's the Foursquare statement of faith on salvation. We believe that the, the salvation of sinners is holy through grace, that we have no righteousness or goodness of our own wherewith to seek divine favor and must come, therefore, throwing ourselves upon the unfailing mercy and love of him who brought us and washed us in, in his own blood, pleading the merits and the righteousness of Christ the Savior, standing upon his word and accepting the free gift of love 
and pardon. And here's the thing. Here's the deal. This is not a uniquely four-square thing. This is not only the four-square statement of faith. This is the statement of the faith of the entire church for the last 2,000 years. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That the one who believes in him has eternal life. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. And now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the statement of faith for the one true church. And again, I say a warning. Any church, any denomination, any organization, any so-called prophet, pastor, teacher, who claims to be the only true church, and yet you have to go through them in order to get to Jesus, don't have anything to do with them. Anyone who points that out, anyone who points to themselves rather than Christ is a false teacher. You don't go through me. You don't go through Foursquare. You don't go through anyone else except Jesus Christ to get to the Father. And again, I said this before, but the one true church is not a denomination or any particular church. It is anyone and everyone who trusts, believes, and follows the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that right now today, not just Liberty Church, but every other church that is called by the name of Jesus is the one true church. I don't care if they're Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian. If you are a Christ-centered, Bible-believing church, you are the one true church. Jesus is the only foundation of the church. And again, the message hasn't changed since he proclaimed the gospel. Look at Mark 1. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, again, the gospel is the good news of salvation through Christ Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for us. Our sins are forgiven. Now, repent simply means to turn away from your sin and directly towards God. Okay, repentance just means to change your mind and accept what God says about sin. Whether we agree with it or not, whether we think it's that really a big of a deal, because far too often a lot of people will take sin and use it as harmless as, oh, I know I'm supposed to be on a diet, but I'll have the piece of cake anyways. It's not that harmless. Sin always leads to death. 
And we have to change our minds and accept and submit to God's will. Proverbs 14, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it, it is the way of death. God has declared sin as evil, and it will always, always lead to death. So again, I will repent, turn away from my sin, and turn towards Jesus. You have to cling to Jesus, because remember the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And thank God Jesus has already shed his blood on our behalf, Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who are far away, especially those of us who are Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, were once far away from God. And now Jesus, by the shedding of his blood, by his blood alone, we have been brought near to God. We have been reconciled to God. The holy and righteous blood of Jesus shed on the cross doesn't just cover our sins. It wipes it away entirely, making us pure and holy by his blood alone. He took on our sin and in exchange gave us his righteousness. That's a divine exchange. He who was sinless, God placed all the sin of the world on him on the cross to the point where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first time ever in history where God the Father could not look at God the Son because all of our sin was placed upon him. And he died. And in exchange for that, all of his sinlessness, all of his righteousness, all of his holiness and purity was then placed upon us. And again, Jesus is the one who saves alone. That's why we must trust in his grace and mercy alone. Look at Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not about anything I do. It's not about anything I don't do. It is all by faith, by grace, and trusting in his mercy. And again, this, this faith, this grace you have been saved through faith. You know, a lot of people say, well, then why, why become a pastor? Why do we do the things that we do? It is not to get saved. It is because of my salvation. Okay, I don't get saved and then go, okay, God, I'll become a pastor so I can just be good enough to be saved. It is, you have saved me and now have a calling in my life. And through my salvation, I already have it. I've got my ticket. I already have it. And so now God has given me something that I need to do. And this is what it is. You have to find whatever that is that God has called you to do. Not because you're trying to get saved, but because you are saved. And again, this is why religion or trying to do good works, really gets you nowhere. You know, David wrote in Psalm 51 that God doesn't desire sacrifices or delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice that God is pleased with is a broken and contrite heart. 
which means that I acknowledge that I am broken before God. I've got this garbage fire mess I call my life, and I have to just give it to him. I have nothing else to offer him. All I can do is bow down and trust in him and in his mercy and his love and in his grace. Because if, it's, if it was about religion, you would be perpetually, if I just, if I just do this, I hope, I, can, I hope I'm good enough today. I hope I did enough today. It gives you that perpetual anxiety of, oh my goodness, did I do enough? Am I worthy enough to be saved? It doesn't have anything to do with religion. It has everything to do with what Jesus has already done. And that is a relationship with him. Titus 3. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's it all we got we don't come here and do six songs and listen to me preach in order to look God we're doing okay you know we didn't sin in the last 10 seconds (laughs) that's all I that's all we can that's all we can rely on is Jesus Christ now I particularly want to end with this and I know you know being a Protestant church For most Protestant churches, we particularly use the cross. We have the cross. And I completely understand why. I completely get it. We don't have Jesus on the cross anymore because Jesus is no longer on the cross. He died and he rose again and he is in heaven. Here's the deal. I'm a former Catholic. I still have an affinity. I have one here. I like crucifixes. I still have an affinity for it. Don't judge me. <laughs> here's the deal. Here's, here's why I have an affinity for this. Is it because for me it shows more detail of what he went through. It shows these things. You know, when I was, again, when I was Catholic and I was an altar boy, we had this, I mean, it was massive crucifix at the back of the church. And right where I was, the altar boys had to be kind of over here. And right where I was is where Jesus was just leaning down and looked like he was just glaring at me. That's why I have religious trauma, don't, you know. But I would look at this face that he, he had on this crucifix, and it would feel like he was just far beyond disappointed in me. I felt... Like he was saying, look what I did for you, and you're not even good enough. You haven't done enough. You were unworthy of the sacrifice that I made for you. That's how I felt when I was an altar boy. That's how I felt in religion. Religion will always condemn Religion will always tell you you're not good enough. 
But here's the thing. Now I can look back. Now I know the truth of the gospel. And now I can actually look at a crucifix and say and realize that what Jesus is really saying is, look at what I did for you because I love you. I went through this for you because I love you and I don't want you condemned. I want to have relationship with you. I want you to be pure and I want to spend eternity with you. That is what the crucifix means now. That is relationship. Relationship will always bring you back. Because here's the thing, and I want you to remember this. Next time you see a crucifix, I want you to remember this. If you could have just followed one more rule, why did he have to die? If there was just one more thing you could have done, why on earth would God send his one and only son to die on the cross for you? If you could have just gone to church, if you could have just given some change to a homeless person and that would make you okay, what kind of God, what kind of father would send his son to die? It took death. And thank God through Jesus Christ it wasn't ours. It was his. And he was able to overcome death. And as now, as we see on the cross, he's not on the cross, he's in heaven making intercession for us. He is on your behalf saying, I paid for that sin. He or she is mine. And not only that, not only now are we saved, but we are sons and daughters of the living God, heirs to the very throne of heaven if you are a believer. So remember this. I'm going to end with Isaiah 53 if the uh, worship team wants to come up. Remember this. Again, next time you see a crucifix. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is what the cross means. Jesus is the Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you know, you, you give us the truth and you tell us that the wages of sin is death. And that would be awful, terrible news because that would mean that we would have to die for our own sin. But we thank you, Jesus, that you made a way that we don't have to. That where death was required, you paid that price for us so that you can then give us life, eternal life that those who believe in Jesus receive eternal life. We thank you that you are our Savior, that while we were still powerless, you came down and died for us. That it's only by your mercy, your grace, your love that you came down and did this for us. 
So, Father, help us to live out our salvation, to remember that we already are saved and that we can live in confidence on the cross, the death you paid, and that you have rose again, living for us, making intercession for us. Please, Father, be with everybody here. Holy Spirit, help us to remember every single day the things that Jesus has done for us, that again, don't let us fall into the trap of if I could just do this, if I could just do that, I'll be good enough because Jesus has already made us good enough. Lead us and guide us in your truth and in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.